brothers and sisters in Christ of the Mount Olivet and Flo-Fills United Methodist Churches. I bid you grace and peace in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us begin with the prayer of illumination. Holy Spirit, as your word is read and preached, cast among your gathered people, scattered as we might be, opening minds to increased understanding and opening hearts to bind us together in your love. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If another member of a church sins against you, go and point out the fault when two of you are alone, and if the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by evidence of the two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offended refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's lectionary passage seems to be speaking directly to us. After all, from our waking moments till the moment we close our eyes to sleep, we are surrounded by a hostile and divisive environment. One does not have to scroll too far on Facebook nor watch more than five minutes of the news on any news channel before the divisions of our time come creeping in. We certainly live in a time of heightened emotions and extreme polarizations and intense levels of conviction that often lead us to attack one another. A prime example of this was seen recently as both the DNC and the RNC did nothing but attack the other candidates. Our media fees enable us to live in echo chambers where we instantly like and give feedback to those we agree with, and thus we are deafened by the dissenting voices. We are deafened to the dissenting voices that exist agree with us, leading to a recipe that allows us to be easily offended. Yet conflict is nothing it's not new to the world or the church, the local congregation, family members, or churches. Church members and conflict can even be seen throughout the biblical canon. In fact, if there's one thing we can count on in this life, if that conflict will arise, if there is one thing that we can count on in life, it's that at some point, conflict will arise. 
conflict factors out of fear and misplaced loyalty. It factors out of self-interest and concern for oneself. And it is this self-interest that drives people to talk about one another more than they talk with one another. And if we are honest, all of us, all of us have done this. When we talk about other rather than talk to the other. Yet, Jesus turns the things upside down, which makes this passage so interesting. For our scripture lesson today, a part of Jesus' response to the questions of the disciples earlier in the 18th chapter. A question born out of self-interest and self-concern. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus then answers this question of who is the greatest with a multi-faced response which redirects our attention to a set of strategies that is meant to help the Christian community sustain its spiritual and social unity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus says have childlike faith by being vulnerable and powerless and welcome the children to me, which means welcome those who are vulnerable and powerless. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. In other words, beware of your pride. He tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep for the one sheep, naming the value that all people have that all people hold. And then we have our passion for today. If your brother or sister sin against you, go and forgive them. Putting our scripture lesson in the context framed for us by this biblical narrative means that these steps laid out regarding conflict management function less as some universal three-step resolution process that's guaranteed to work, but rather it more or less functions as a model for how to talk and walk alongside of those who are vulnerable. It functions less as some universal three-step resolution process that's guaranteed to work and instead functions as a model for how to walk with along and alongside those who are vulnerable. It is the means by which we empower the vulnerable among us to have When placed in the biblical narratives of the rest of the 18th chapter, this process laid out by Christ is a means by which we empower the vulnerable among us to have a voice. More than this, it is the process by which we are humbled that we might hear and listen to the voice of the other. You see, the gospel lesson is reminding us that no member of Christ's body is greater than the other. We are not an association of like-minded individuals, and we do not have to be an association of like-minded individuals. For we all have different backgrounds, we all come from different cultures, we all hold different political affiliations and different values that we hold, that we emphasize over others. We are not to be regulated by the majority, but rather we are a body that gathers united with one another under the Lordship of 
Christ. In essence, our political affiliation, our background, the value that we emphasize is not what matters. What matters is that we all gather to worship and adore our Lord. What matters is that we are united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One commentator says it this way, quote, a church is a place of mutual independency where each member is incomplete without the other. Where the suffering of one and the suffering of all, where the honor of one lead to the rejoicing of all, and this means that conflict between members not only affects the individuals involved, but infects the entire community of faith. When both of us get into a disagreement with each other, what happens? The one who is offended says nothing to the person who hurt them, and they begin the process of gathering up supporters, and the offended gather sympathetic ears and reassurances of their rights to be upset by the trouble and harm endured by that other person, and soon there is this growing group of people who know the wrong that had been done, and each of them begin to search their own memory banks for examples of when that person talked about wronged them as well. Jesus, however, does not take this route. Jesus orders and directs the life of the church to be different than the culture around them. Jesus points out to us that the point of the so-called conflict resolution is not winning, but it is involved around and grounded in reconciliation. The role of conflict resolution is to understand the other. Each decision that we make involve layers of complex interwoven factors from childhood to adulthood that makes us think and act differently than the other, and we need to understand that about one another. In other words, the call and the command of Jesus Christ is to care for the offended or sinner, not to establish the rights of anger held by the offended. Thus, the person who is offended is to go to the brother or sister in private and try to rectify the situation in love. The point that we need to gather from that sentence is that they try to rectify the situation in love. Authenticity matters and the state of our hearts matter and we must be ready to engage with openness of heart or said another way, we must be willing to both hear and listen to the other. One of my closest colleagues and I got into a disagreement while we were both attending Duke Divinity School, and we had such strong convictions on this doctrinal subject that we stopped talking to one another. Yet I felt calling, I kept feeling God pulling on my heart to rectify and reconcile with 
this person. Eventually, I called my friend and told her that I felt God wanted us to resolve our conflict, and she agreed. She actually said, I, I felt God doing the same, but I've been trying to ignore God. You see, both of us had to get to the point where we were willing to listen to the other person where we were willing to understand how the other person came to the decisions they came to, where we understood how the other person could hold such doctrinal views. We still, to this day, do not agree on that particular doctrinal subject, but we respect one another's position, and we believe that we are both called to the work of pastoral ministry, and our willingness to listen to the other freed us from the need to be right or wrong, and instead led us to a place where we could embrace each other's gifts and graces for ministry. It led us to a place where we could mutually support one another in God. To be clear here, Jesus doesn't give his instructions so that persons who have sinned or offended the other person gets a free pass. Rather, if things are pointed out in love, then the person who sinned is given the chance to grow. Both of us had to give one another the chance to grow in our understanding of the other. And for the person who was hurt or sinned against, Jesus wants them to engage in forgiveness so that the person is no longer bound by anger or resentment. For we all know that anger and resentment can extinguish Claims Christian love. Very means by which the world knows we are Christians is by our love. If the first step failed, and a barrier between the offended and the offender still exists, we are told to bring one or two others. And if that fails, we are told to go before the whole church, for when two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he is there among them. And thus the spirit of the meaning is not to be mean-spirited, but one that seeks the reconciliation, grace, and love of God. Therefore the rationale of the gathering is not that the gathered will take sides, but rather that the outside perspectives of those gathered will allow the parties which are in conflict to avoid misunderstanding each other or later manipulating who said what. Interestingly, the last resort in the reconciliation process is to declare the unrepentant person a Gentile. They have violated the rights of their baptism. I'm sorry, they have violated the vows of their baptisms of mutual respect and responsibility and accountability to the body of Christ, and therefore they've acted like an outsider. Often this section of scripture has been used as a means to justify excommunication or shunning of people from the body of Christ. Yet this is not biblical. There is no biblical concept for this, for the disavowed relationship of the offender is not necessarily excommunication, but it is a call for the church to refocus and redirect the church's effort to reestablish the relationship by re-evangelizing to that person the love of God for them, all the heart 
In other words, because of our own baptismal vows, because of the baptismal vows of the offended individual and the community, they are now even more and ever more responsible for the outreach and care of the offender or, and or sinner. It is, it is the highest calling of the church to condemn sinful words and actions as we follow after the Lordship of Christ without losing sight of the inherent imago Deo in the person who is living in sin. It is the highest calling of the church to condemn sinful words and actions as we follow after the Lordship of Christ without losing sight of the inherent imago Deo of the person who is living in sin. In essence, they are of sacred worth, for they are still made in the Imago Deo, which means they are still made in the image of God. Here's the point. If we are to be the hands and feet of God, the church, the body of Christ to the world, then any disciplinary action that the church takes in the midst of conflict as individuals or as a corporate body needs to be grounded in the unbounded forgiveness of God. And everything the church does, everything the church does is redemptive in nature, not retaliatory. Everything, and I mean everything that the church does, is to be redemptive in nature, not retaliatory. How we speak to those we disagree with then matters. For to speak harshly of the other, to use language of the other that is not reflective of their image of Christ means that we harm the witness of Christ to the world. For our God, our God is a God of redemption. Everything the church does is redemptive in nature, not retaliatory. Asking for forgiveness is not a sign of weakness. In granting forgiveness is not condoning what has been done. It is merely steps toward reconciliation, the very thing that Jesus did when he reconciled the whole world by hanging on a cross. And if he forgives, then surely we can ask and also give forgiveness for each other. Those who love much have been forgiven much. And those who have been forgiven much love May we be countercultural as we seek to constantly check our pride, seek out those we disagree with in humility, and attempt in love to see their side as we both forgive and receive forgiveness. Let us pray. From the beginning until now, loving God, we have turned away from you, following lesser ways, pursuing a lesser life than the life offered to us in Christ, and yet you will not abandon us. You call us out, you call out 
warning and wooing us to return to you. Even when we fall away from our brothers and sisters in the church, you remain present with us. Lord, help us to love as you love wholeheartedly until we are reconciled to you and to our neighbor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's commands are an invitation to daily faithfulness. Love God and your neighbor every day and you will fulfill all that God intends. And now may the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit fill you and the whole church until all things in heaven and on earth are reconciled. Go in peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.